Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad that you guys are here. Uh, just a couple of uh, really quick things. Uh, we are, uh, those are really bright. Are you, my clicker's on its way. All right. We are in uh, week three of a series that we have entitled uh, Loneliness, Lust, Love, and Taxes. And so, uh, Last, uh, last week, uh, we had the opportunity to talk about lust, and it was really funny because uh, uh, for my birthday, my wife decided to surprise me and have my family in town, and so I did not know that they would be here, and my mom was sitting on the front row last week while I was talking about lust, and it was really exciting. It was an honor. Uh, I told Carmen I would have probably planned the series a little bit different had I known, but you don't ever know who's going to be here when you're, when you're talking about what. So uh, people were afterwards asking me, how did that feel to be uh, talking about lust with your mom sitting on the front row? And uh, I, I sweated a lot uh, leading up to it, but once I got up there, I just kind of dealt with it and moved on. So uh, today uh, I have uh, t- entitled the message, uh, Lost in Love. And as we dive into the content here, I want to, I want to, there's a lot here. So, so this is one of those things that I, I'm, I'm as an individual pretty, pretty passionate about. Um, and we're going to be talking today uh, when we talk about the idea of love, uh, you know, the, we're going to be moving kind of into the direction of how to, do we live lives where we are fulfilled in loving relationships? Uh, how is it that we can uh, be people who not only have a good perspective uh, within the way that we're doing life, within our marriages, but also how can we have a perspective that is grounded in scripture and we are able to live that in the community around us. And so here's what I want to say is that a lot of times, uh, a lot of times when we get into content just in, in general, like what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, a lot of what happens is, and, and, and I've been guilty of this as a pastor before, and the church is guilty of this, uh, uh, I think, in a pretty g- generic and general form, and that is approaching uh, uh, the need for understanding or the need for transformation or change from a perspective of shame. And I want to say that, you know, if you have a broken uh, philosophy of love, if you have a broken perspective, if you're in an unhealthy place, the truth is it's probably shame that has gotten you to that place. So using shame as a tool to get you out of that place doesn't really make a lot of sense because shame is what gets us into these places. And so uh, what, I, what, I, what I want to do is I want to encourage us to be people who want to be into the pre- in, in the presence of God. We want to be in relationship with God. We want to have encounters with the living God. And I want to say that the freedom that I believe you can experience in your life to move you past some of the things that uh, might not line up with Scripture come from right relationship with God, all right? So each week uh, as we kind of dive into uh, a topic, and, and you guys know I do this all the time, I try to define our terms. Uh, I think it's really important that we are uh, using uh, the same definition when we're talking about uh, a specific topic. This, this really becomes uh, appropriate and, and just as a tool for you in, in just... Uh, various areas of life, uh, making sure that when you are engaging in a, in a conversation with somebody that you both are coming from the same definition of terms. Uh, because if we define terms differently, we can be arguing about 
completely different things, or we can even think that we're agreeing on the same thing when we're really not. And so uh, in the approach of trying to define the word love uh, and just doing some, some study on this, like, like uh, uh, my wife alluded to uh, just a moment ago, there, inside of scripture, there are different types of love that are presented uh, to us. And so you have uh, the one that's agape, which is the highest form of love. So there is no greater love than the agape love. And then the other three forms are like subsets of that. Uh, you have uh, the one that is uh, eros, which is that erotic love, that that uh, love between uh, a husband and a wife. And then you have uh, the family love and you have, uh, what was the fourth one? Brotherly love, right. Uh, and so, so, so these types of loves, they operate in harmony. And as I was trying to come up with a definition for love, the struggle that I found is that they actually, they vary from different sources. Uh, and so, uh, I felt like that there was a lack of uh, real clarity inside of the definitions that I was looking at. And so it just kind of dawned on me that we have a definition inside of scripture. And so today I wanna use that as our basis. So as we're talking about love and love within society, we're coming from this perspective and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll begin in verse four, all right? Love is patient and kind. Right, so we're getting pictures of love here. And, and the good thing here is this is agape. So this is the highest form of love that you can have. It encompasses all of the loves. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth, right? So these are some, these are some pretty good statements uh, that are being made right here for us. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love. So when, when we use this language of I love you, right? Uh, there, there's something that is uh, uh, meant when we say that. Uh, I remember uh, myself being in high school and I uh, was uh, dating a girl. Uh, I was a bag boy at Winn-Dixie. She was a cashier. It seemed like a natural fit. And uh, I went through this whole process of, uh, uh, of saying I love you and then we would be on the phone and I don't know if you've ever been in this place before but it was you know I love you oh I love you more no I love you more no I love you more and that wasn't fun to me uh that drove me crazy uh but I participated I participated and uh I won't name her name uh and hopefully she's not watching today because I did not love her uh, but I said what I said because I thought it was the right thing to do. And so uh, I would sit there and, and it, it was just terrible. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those relationships. It was like, we had nothing to say. So we'd sit in silence, right? I mean, it was bad. And so when that relationship ended and the Lord saw fit for, uh, for us to part ways, uh, and I found somebody who I really cared about, Carmen, and uh, began dating her. I told her that I would not tell her I loved her until I really meant it. Remember that? And so we were uh, sitting at a TCBY. Anybody ever remember TCBY, frozen yogurt? Come on. It's all right. Uh, and uh, I don't know if they still have them, but we were sitting there, and uh, I was, I was like, an emotional wreck telling her this. Like, like, like I, I was really, emo I was crying. I was like, I'm not gonna tell you I love you until I love you. And, 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 and then she, uh, this is how long we've been dating. She was wearing a retainer and she had taken it out for the TCBY and threw it away on accident. And so after this like really emotional conversation at TCBY, we went back in and started digging through the garbage uh, to find her retainer. 
And so I told her I would never tell her that I loved her until I loved her. And so for, for six months, we, we dated and uh, uh, we'd go out on dates and uh, I never said that I loved her. I also didn't kiss her. And then the time that I kissed her, uh, I remember we were standing on her front porch and uh, uh, I w- had been working on the courage to kiss her. And so just so you know, like, like the, the nervousness that you see inside of me, and this is like supernatural, like it's been like this for me from day one. Uh, I just, I'm awkward. And so I just was like trying to figure out how to do this. And I really don't know, you know, what, what was going on in her mind. She's never told me. Uh, but I remember that I, I leaned in and I kissed her and I, I got really like, uh, confused and like I just had these emotions and it was I don't know how to describe it it just was like super like it's like angels were singing and (laughs) queen was in the background dropping a thread and I remember uh uh my sister was actually sitting in the car waiting on me. So it was double awkward. Like she was watching. You, you ever see in the movies where like you get back in the car and the, and the sibling, the sister's like, you're such a loser. Like that was me. Like I got back in the car and she's like, you're a loser. Like what took you so long to do that? You know? But I remember like that was the end of the night. And I was like, uh, uh, bye. I love you. And I just said it, like it just came out. And I remembered that really emotional conversation I had had where I told her I wouldn't tell her I loved her till I loved her. So I tried to backtrack on that. And I said, I- I'm sorry, I thought you were my mom. And she was like, what? Like it was this super confusing moment. And I was like, not when I was kissing you, <laughs> cause I'm not that awkward. Uh, but you know how like you just say, bye, I love you, like you're leaving and it's like, I'm gone, I love you. And it's just like this, this thing that we say, that's what I had done. I had, just, I had just said, I love you out of response to a moment, right? It was just, a, it was just something that was a habit. And uh, a couple of months later, uh, Carmen and I broke up and uh, I, I broke up, uh, I actually broke up with her uh, and that's not being facetious. And uh, I, I, I just, there were feelings I didn't know how to navigate. And I had a, I had a, I had a good upbringing. Like my mom and dad were good people, uh, but I, had, I just didn't have enough conversation at home to understand what was going on in my heart, in my life. And I remember, so we broke up and uh, a couple of months went by and I wasn't eating and I was sitting at the, I just was, just miserable. And my mom and dad and, and, and the rest of us were eating dinner one night. And uh, I just, I, I felt sick at my stomach and uh, they were like, what is, what's wrong? And I just, uh, I realized then I had this epiphany that I, that, that all of the emotions that I was feeling that made me feel sick, like, like inside, they were actually like the, the, the side effects of how much I loved Carmen. And I didn't know how to navigate it. And when I had that epiphany, um, I went and bought a bunch of flowers and uh, she was working at Chick-fil-A and uh, I came to Chick-fil-A and I wanted to talk to her real quick. And uh, her boss was like, she's working, so no. And so she was like, I get off in a couple of hours. And so I sat in the parking lot uh, in my car and I listened to uh, the Hillsong uh, CD with Shout to the Lord on it. and I just had a little worship service in my car. I was that that goofy. And so like, I'm out there just belting at the top of my lungs, singing to Jesus, like super happy, like everything's gonna be right. And uh, she came out and uh, we had already kind of started uh, talking again. And there's a whole lot of stories inside of all of that. But that was the first time that I really remember being in a place where I told her that I loved her and that I really meant it. And, and I'll tell you that in November, Carmen and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. And we've known each other since we've known each other for uh, uh, since we were 13. And so that's, uh, if I do the math, 27 years uh, that we've known each other. And uh, I, I would say that Carmen and I have a really healthy marriage, uh, but, but marriage is not easy. 
in marriage, there is no such thing as like this perfect marriage. And we have a tremendous amount of disservice that's done to us inside of culture, right? Uh, and, and we do, we, we see the, the stories that get told of perfect love and perfect relationship. And, and in this, these generations, these last couple of generations more than ever before because of how, how we can go to the movies and, and, and hear these stories and see these stories. Like there's just this idea that's birthed inside of us that is really contrary to what relationships and marriage actually look like. Um, so, so I wanna just cover a couple of things. I, I want to begin in Genesis chapter two uh, here in verse 18. So, so God has been making some things, right? And if you go back through, you'll see that as God is making things, God looks at those things and he says, and this is really interesting. So I don't know if you know this or not, but, but the creation story at the beginning of Genesis is actually written as a poem in the Hebrew. And then when it gets translated into the English, it kind of loses that poetry feel. Uh, and so it doesn't become as obvious to us. So we just read it more as just text. But if you think about it, uh, there's this, there's these constant uh, connections that are made each day as creation is taking place. Uh, we find this uh, idea of things being good, right? And so God is creating things and he says, it is good. It is good, it is good. And then he comes here to verse 18 and he's made uh, man and the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so this is the first time that we find this language of something God created having an aspect that's not good. And so uh, God goes on to make this helper. And, and just a couple of verses later, verse 24, uh, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So I wanna talk about this one flesh idea for, for just a moment, right? Uh, and this one flesh is like this picture of marriage that, that is given to us. Jesus brings a little bit of clarity to this. I would say less about clarity and more about just reaffirming this idea uh, in the book of Mark, uh, beginning here in verse six of chapter 10. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh, okay? Uh, it says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So here's, here's the, the problem that, that I think we have with love. Maybe globally, I, I really, I have to be careful sometimes when I'm preaching because I, I, we can make, pastors can make statements that uh, are applicable to the church, but they, they, they aren't necessarily always, when we're talking about the position of sin or disconnectedness, uh, it, it's, not, uh, it's not necessarily a picture of what every church is like. This is why like in the book of Revelations, uh, when John is writing the letters, he's writing to the different churches because the different churches are wrestling with different issues, okay? Um, this, is, this is, let me, this is a great opportunity to just add a little bit of extra here. I'm, I, I knew today was gonna be rabbit trail day. I told the band, I was like, y'all just get ready. We're gonna be like hopping. Um, so I was watching, uh, I don't remember what we were watching. We were watching something on TV. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't even remember the scenario exactly, but it was, this man was just in this program was just blatantly deceiving, cheating on his uh, wife. He was just, he was just, it was just this picture of this man that was just a terrible person. And uh, I was sitting on the, on, on the couch uh, in, in our, uh, where we were at, we were on the couch, Carmen was behind me and she said, she said, uh, is that really what, what uh, men are like? And my immediate response was absolutely. But, but I've had this, this, this epiphany as of late. So, so 10 years ago, I would have made that statement, absolutely. I would have said to my daughter, I would have said the same thing that we hear. Like, like you're gonna be dating a guy one day and he's gonna say this, and I just want you to know what's going on in his mind because this is how guys are. And we've used this idea of trying to be cautious and 
for, you know, be preventative in society. And so we talk about certain things, i.e. guys in this scenario. And because we, what we do is we, unfortunately, we have used the language of guys to help prevent really what is just a very small percentage of guys. Okay, I, I hope what I'm saying is making sense. And so I stopped and I said, absolutely not. I said, I, I don't know, I don't know very many men in my life that would ever do something like this. In fact, most men that I know fight for their spouses. Most men that I know are protectors. Most of them are, they love, they care, they have empathy and compassion. Unfortunately, there are a, a, enough sociopaths in the world that they have created this mindset that that's what a man is. And I just wanna tell you, that is just a load of beep. I don't know what word goes there. You put whatever you want in on that line right there. It's just not true. And I am sick and tired. This is, I'm angry about this stuff lately. I am sick and tired of my identity being thrown out there with the waste of the world because there have been days in my life listen there were days when we started this church and I worked a full-time job that it was not uncommon for me to get home at midnight and leave the house at three in the morning do you think I did that because like somehow that was fun it was like I was like yeehaw no sleep crawling underneath houses and pulling wire and being in attics and having spiders crawl across me like somehow that's like, yeah, that's manhood. No, I hated those moments. I would sit up literally sometimes at that three o'clock in the morning hour and I would say out loud, I'm doing this because I love my family and they're worth it. And I just, I won't, I'm not gonna be lumped in with the losers of the world. Now, I'm gonna tell you, those people need Jesus. Those people need to find redemption, repentance, all of those things. They're not, they're not, just because I don't identify with them doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love them, right? And just because I don't identify with them doesn't make me perfect. There are plenty of areas in my life that I'm not satisfied with. My wife's probably not satisfied with, no amens right now. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but this isn't a picture of what all are. So we come back to this idea of one flesh, right? We come to this idea of one flesh and this is, this is the picture that God is painting in Genesis and that Jesus is reiterating in Mark. And that is a picture of one and one making one, right? Now, the best way that I can, I, I can transition to this idea is if we move over to uh, uh, the, the, the picture of Jesus's identity, right? So the, the, the language that we use is that Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? So this is God in the flesh. The picture is not this, that God was somehow incomplete and he took an incomplete portion of flesh and that when they came together, finally there was something that was whole and perfect and that was Jesus. That's, that's not the picture. Like we don't read through scripture and see that. Nobody's looking at that and going, oh man, finally God was, woo, look at God, right? We see this as God having his junk together and stepping into the flesh of man. Fully God, fully man, that's Jesus. Now, unfortunately, like, because we don't talk about this stuff really well, uh, and there's a lot that we don't talk about. There's a lot that we're uncomfortable with. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't think that there's any parent out there that's just waiting with great anticipation for their kids to ask them where babies come from, right? Nobody's going, when's it gonna happen? It's the day to day. No, and says the opposite. When it happens, I'm, you, you, everything leaves you, right? It's like right now we're gonna have this conversation. And I'm gonna tell you, I have done this now multiple times and I regret the way I've done it every time because every time it gets repeated and every time it gets repeated, it's an embarrassment. I will not tell you what Ezra said in the car last night. 
but it was bad. <laughs> you would question whether I was a pastor or not, maybe. Carmen looked over at me and she goes, what is he talking about? And I said, he asked me where babies came from and I didn't know what to say. Then you have another conversation about how you just don't repeat these things, right? Nobody's looking forward to this, but we do have a responsibility to be engaged in the conversation. And because we don't engage in the conversation, we have people who are broken, they aren't whole, they aren't right, and they see a relationship, they see intimacy as somehow making that, filling that void. And they, the, the mindset is a half and a half make one. So I can be a broken individual and marry a broken individual and all of a sudden we'll be fulfilling the, the context of the scripture of one flesh. And it's not true. And I, and I mean, if you can just think about it, right? When you're thinking about that person you want to be married to and you're making your little to-do list of everything that you want inside of them and then you've, oh man, I've written out the perfect person, right? And now I've written them out and then you find them and they are perfect. Everything's right about them. Like why in the world should they marry you? Like what are you gonna do to them? How many years of counseling will they need on the back end because they married you? And those aren't the conversations that we have. You see, we get around all of our peer group, you know, our friends, our coworkers, and we, we got our junk together. We get home at night and we're laying in bed and we realize how we don't manage things in our lives very well. We have a lot of guilt and conviction and we're just not doing things to the level that we ought to be doing things. And yet we will take that brokenness and just drive it right into a relationship. And, and so, so if you're in the room today and you're not married, like the thing I'm trying to encourage you on is make sure that you are one person being very real with who you are. Now, again, you're not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna be in this position where you know, everything you do is right, but you can be a healthy person. You can be a person that takes responsibility for your actions, and you can be the type of person that is worthy of a, the type of person that you're looking for. And so the picture here that we're given is two becoming one. It means that, that, that there are, are individuals who are taking responsibility for themselves. They're taking responsibility for the, the, the life choices that they are making. And in order for us to get to the place where we can have a healthy picture of this, where we can take responsibility for ourselves, walk into a relationship with somebody else who's taking responsibility for themselves and honor God, we have to decide who's right. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, and so again, I'm talking from American church right here, okay? This is a problem. This is a real issue and it is an issue right here inside of our own church. All right, not so, so I'm not today just talking about the church down the street, all right? I'm talking about some of us sitting here today and that is we have not resolved properly the question, who's right? So who, who, are, who are the people we're talking about? Today, I'm gonna talk to you about two voices. One is culture and one is the word of God. One is culture and all that it says, implies, dreams on, and wants. And the other is the gospel about a God who loved his creation so much that in its desire to create its own culture and its own way, came in the flesh, died on the cross to make an atonement for the sin of walking away so that they could walk back. And inside of that, we have to decide, do we believe the word of God or do we not believe the word of God? Now, I'm gonna tell you that the truth of the matter is that in order for culture to have 
any relevance that overrides scripture, you have to be the type of person who will look at scripture and say it is subjective to culture. And, and if that's what you're looking for, that church exists right here in the United States of America. There are plenty of churches that will take the scripture and they will take a, 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 a red pen to it and they'll go, well, this isn't relevant to today. There's no way Paul could have known what it would look like. There's no way that, that Moses had any picture of what it would be like in 2019. This is the, the very language that'll be used They'll marry it with ideas like this. Uh, well, here's what happened is God interacted with these individuals and these individuals did the best they could to relate their encounter with God down into these writings. And thankfully they've been preserved and held onto, but they aren't the word of God. They are instead the interactions of God with men and women throughout history. And so you have to decide, does culture steer the validity of the scriptures or does God steer the validity of the scriptures? And I'm gonna tell you, like for me, and, and so as, as the pastor here today, God steers the validity of scriptures. This is a, this is a major part of, of our identity at City Church and why we will preach from the scriptures and hold the scriptures to be true even when they're uncomfortable. I, I can tell you that there have been plenty of things that, that I have read in the scriptures that have made me uncomfortable. There have been plenty of truths that I've discovered even since being married and being a pastor that have made me uncomfortable and made me change the way that I do my life. But at the end of the day, I believe that God loves me with such an infinite love that he knows what he's talking about. The best picture I can paint for this is, is, is the way that, that I love my children. And what's unfortunate is, is I, I would probably argue that not everybody in the room has, has experienced this type of love because we do have a lot of people in our society who are very selfish as parents. At the end of the day, they're doing what they want for themselves. But, but there are people there are, there are parents, moms and dads who love their kids and make sacrifices every day for their children and live their lives in such a way as to set their children up for success. And so there are these moments when you live that way, when you are, are pouring your life in for, to your children, you are making sacrifices for your children. There are moments where you say things that because they don't have enough experience in their lives, they don't understand and don't agree with you on. And then there are moments of epiphany when they walk through something that they go, oh, you were right about that. And this is the hardest thing as, as, as in, in immaturity to get a hold of. And that is that mom and dad, if they are the people who love me and fight for me, are never going to say things to me to put me down or to hurt me. And so like for me as a dad, I would never tell my kids to do something that wasn't the very best for them. And that, that's a complicated place of trust to get to. And so what we have to do is in our relationship with God is we have to go, God, I trust that you really genuinely love me. And so your perspective might be a little bit better than mine. You might have a clearer perspective than I do. And so I'm going to listen to what you have to say. And so we have rules in our house, right? For our children. And those rules are in place to protect them. Those rules are in place so that they are safe. I have three boys and a girl. Those three boys love Nerf guns. Anybody ever play with Nerf guns, right? So we have a rule in the house. Don't shoot the Nerf bullets at each other's faces, right? Okay, sure enough, one day, one of my boys is playing with a Nerf gun and the only part of the target he can hit is the face, so he shoots the person in the face. I'm not naming names in here because I don't wanna embarrass them, but the, fire, the shot was fired, struck him right in the eye, kids screaming. 
come in. Why'd you do that? Why'd you shoot? That was the only part I could shoot. The rest of their body was behind the barrier. I get it. Like, like inside of you is a desire to win. And I knew that when I made the rules, but the reason I made the rule wasn't to prevent you from winning. It was to prevent your brother from being blind for the rest of his life. I see that now. Yes, I'm glad you do. By the grace of God, your brother will see. Thankfully, he is able to see. But sometimes it's just, it's just we, we, we have some expectations that are set in front of us and, and, and we, we struggle with that trust versus suspicion. It's like, do I really trust that the, the, that the expectations set inside of scripture are what's best for me? Or is this just the meanderings of a God or people who claim to love God that just wanna keep me oppressed? So let, let's just transition into today's culture for a moment, right? So, so who are we gonna listen to? Are we gonna listen to God or are we gonna listen to culture? In, in 1953, uh, Esquire magazine uh, was located in Chicago and they made the decision to move their, their offices to uh, New York City. Uh, one of their writers, a man named Hugh Hefner decided he didn't wanna live in New York City. And so he was gonna start his own magazine. And in the process of developing that magazine, he launched what, uh, was, called his, what was called Playboy. Uh, so in 1953, the idea that was birthed was to bring some type of sophisticated men's magazine that had great editorials surrounded by pictures of nude women. And it was a huge success. His magazine was being bought and men were grabbing it everywhere that they could because uh, with the uh, distribution that they had, these men were able to see things at an instant that they really didn't have access to at this point. And there have been a lot of other uh, magazines that have followed suit, but Playboy kind of led the way. It was the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the premier version of this. I remember being a kid and uh, hearing a family member talk about uh, why he had a subscription to it and uh, that his wife had a problem with it. And he told her, he said, I don't get it because of the, the centerfolds. I get it because of their uh, sports commentary. And I, I, was, I was like 12 and I remember thinking, you're a bad liar. Like, I don't, I don't, I've never seen one of these magazines, but based on what you're saying, you're not being honest. You go from 1953 into the 60s and the sexual revolution, as we have deemed it in the United States, is birth and the idea of free love is uh, rampant on universities on the campuses of universities. And, uh, and it's not just happening in the United States, it's happening all over the world in what we would consider to be civilized societies. And so uh, you have the demand for uh, uh, the pill to be offered for uh, women so that they could uh, have more, the morning after pill for abortion. Uh, at the same time, you also have a group of people who are arguing that uh, drugs like LSD make life better and that it should be made available on campus. And uh, you have a group of people who are making some stands in their lives and saying, hey, this is not like a healthy way to live life. This is not, you know, gi giving out Playboy and the morning after pill and LSD. Like these are not things that we should be distributing. They're not gonna build the culture that we want in our nation. And yet you had young people out of high school in college who had been told at this point that they could live life doing whatever they wanted to do and nobody had any say in it leading the way. And so you, you literally had the heads of universities either resigning or being fired because on campus, young people wanted this sexual revolution and did not want anybody to tell them differently. And then we move into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 
And now today, ease of access to whatever we want. What used to require going to a store and uh, having to read the title of a magazine where the rest of it was covered in paper is now just as easy as opening up a phone and uh, doing a quick search. It's right there. The ability to engage and indulge in any type of fantasy, sexuality, any of it, it's just, it's just there. And, and the culture around us advocates for it. The culture around us advocates that, that, that this is the way that we're made and this is how it should be. I, I remember in the early 2000s, uh, there was a song that came out. I, I don't remember who sang it, but the line in it was, uh, you and me, baby, we're nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And I was a youth pastor at the time and, uh, and kids would come into the youth group singing the song. And the question has to be asked, is God right or is society right? Because God would argue that you're much more than a mammal that you are created with a destiny and a purpose. David wrote in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm unique. I have value. It's intrinsic to who I am. And the world will say, hey, you know what? All we've got today and we need to live it for everything that we can. And, and somebody's gotta be right and somebody's gotta be wrong. Marriage is a commitment before it is a delight. God created sex, he created intimacy for pleasure. There is no doubt. If you're married in the room and you don't enjoy it, you're doing it wrong. And I, I don't know how to help you with that. We have counselors, not me. I way too awkward for that counseling session. But I will tell you this, that God made that type of love intentionally secondary to agape, that eros, secondary to agape, because it is the reward for faithfulness. Can I, can I, can I just, you know, science lines up with these things that, that this, the release of endorphins that takes place in the brain during intimacy is, is the most addictive thing on the planet, more than any drug that you can get, you know, that you can go and buy, illegal, legal, whatever. There's nothing that's more addictive than that release of pheromones. Endorphins, pheromones, endorphins, yes. There's nothing more addictive than that. It's the highest level of release in intimacy. Now, why is it that our bodies operate that way. Well, if you take the perspective of a creator who says, I've created you to be in right relationship inside of monogamy, a monogamous relationship, right? Then if you save yourself for that person, then that act becomes an addiction to that person. Now, if you're the enemy, if God is real and Satan is real, how can you go in and, and, and pervert and, and, and try to lead people away from the path that God has for them? The best thing to do is to tap into that addiction. And what we have is access to tap into the delight before the commitment and we have a generation of people who are addicted to the delight, not to the commitment. Ravi Zacharias says it like this, if you really are looking for a feeling that will transcend the previous experience all the time, you have actually eclipsed the value of a person and the person becomes a means to an end. And, 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 and the unfortunate side of this is because we don't take it serious that one and one make one. We are perfectly okay with carrying our brokenness into the marriage. 
not being open and real with it and fighting to be a better person. And so what happens is, is we bring that addiction to the act into the marriage and it creates unfaithfulness. And because our society has created a culture where that delight is so easy to tap into, the idea of divorce and separation isn't really that big of a thing to us because what are we really giving up? Because all we've got to do is just step outside. We'll find somebody else that can fulfill that need inside of us. And yet the whole time God says, I created sex for marriage. I created that level of intimacy for marriage, not to be experienced by groups of people or randomly. Now, culture says different. And because we also live in a a culture where we are encouraged to be private about our faith, right? I mean, we have workplaces that now have created uh, lines within their HR regulations that say, you know, you can't wear a cross while you're at work. If you're a Christian, you've got to keep your faith to yourself. It's, it's a fireable offense to share the gospel, right? But it's, it's not a fireable offense to perpetuate a cultural narrative. So secular ideology has no bounds. There's no boundary. There's no end to it. Because the idea births from this place of everybody needs to figure out what's right for themselves. And this is why the world looks so radically different than it did just 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago. I mean, the world is radically changing. The boundaries are going further and further and further. And you're, you're as, a, as, a, as a person on the planet, as a human being, you're being told that you don't need to say anything about it because you don't know what it's like for that person wrestling with that thing. So we have articles being written inside of prominent magazines that argue for a lowering of the consent age. Psychologists who are beginning to make the statement that a child being sexually entered into a relationship, it's not really bad for them. The only reason it's bad is because we have a culture where we've said it's bad. But if we didn't say it was bad, then a five-year-old wouldn't know it was bad. And maybe right now you're going, that's stupid, Jim. Nobody's gonna think like that. Nobody's gonna talk like that, but they do. And because the secular world has no boundaries, there isn't an end. What we see is the rules and regulations keep being pushed further and further and further. I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, hey, listen, the world you live in today at the rate it's going will not be the world that you raise your kids in. And the things that today you would go are unacceptable. There will be people in the world that are going, that's the way it ought to be. Social uh, anthropologists argue that there are three types of cultures around the world and that there have always been three types of cultures. I just wanna look at these for a moment, okay? The first one is a theonomous, the second is a heteronomous, and the third is autonomous. So uh, theonomous is a culture where they believe that a, a god has laid out instruction and direction on how people should live and they live within their culture based on the directions of that authority. Heteronymous uh, uh, is the, the type of culture that we see uh, uh, communism, uh, bulk portions of socialism fall into, and that is where a group of individuals make the decisions for how everybody else 
needs to live and everybody then is bound to that ideology and it's based on the reflections and decisions of a, of a smaller group. And then the third is autonomous. Autonomous is that each individual uh, makes a decision on what's right and what's wrong for themselves, right? Now, when you ask uh, people culturally, which one of these three do you, do you believe that we are <clears throat> or that we should be, uh, most say that we should be autonomous. Maybe even right now you're going, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody should have the right to have their own perspective, their own thought, their own pattern. Um, the, the problem here that, that, that we have is that, is that in order for a culture to actually maintain autonomous uh, identity, it requires then for people to be okay with somebody else not thinking the way that they think. And that you don't find in a culture. The thing that they argue is, is that the cultures that have tried to be autonomous constantly move their way into uh, heteronymous, where a group of people with autonomy have decided how everybody else should talk, think, and live. room today if you're a Christian the real idea that I'm trying to get to on this focus of love is is, is, is who are you going to believe where, where are you going to draw your line in the sand what's going to be the testimony that you share and, and, and how will you live your life C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in a pilgrim's regress Listen to this. A man ordered milk and eggs from a waiter in a restaurant. After tasting the milk, he commented to the waiter that it was delicious. The waiter replied, milk is only the secretion of a cow, just like urine and feces. After eating the eggs, he commented on the tastiness of the eggs. Again, the waiter responded that eggs are only a byproduct of a chicken. After thinking about the waiter's comment for a moment, the man responded, you lie. You don't know the difference between what nature has meant for nourishment and what it meant for garbage. Culture blurs all of these lines and God says, I've made some things really beautiful for my children and I've made some things off limits for my children because I love them and they're my children and I want them to experience love love that is without shame. This is why I made the argument at the beginning that I don't want you to be shamed in here today because the truth is shame is probably the reason that you're in the position that you're in if you're in a place of brokenness. It, it might seem crass, but think about this for a moment if you're in here today and you're like man like there are a lot of broken areas in me can you honestly say that you have had more interaction with the living God than you have with sexual partners because we don't put ourselves in the position where we say okay God have your way because we don't put ourselves out there and we don't live in community and we don't faithfully engage in relationship with him, what happens is that we don't have an encounter with him very often. And we're constantly having encounters over here. But God is here and God wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to know you. I think, let me rephrase that, he wants you to know that he knows you already there let's stand as we close today so where do we go from where do we go with this let me tell you this 
have a voice and you have the right to present the gospel as the gospel is presented, okay? I want you to hear this today. You do not have to walk out of here and take portions of scripture and tuck them away and hide them in shame and fear. If you acknowledge that the word of God is the word of God, it is okay to stand on that word, but it is not okay to use God's word as a weapon of hate. And this is where we get lost in love. It's where we're torn by a secular society to think and act one way and a God that teaches us to live a different way and and people on both sides are using their perspective as baseball bats. And this is the brilliance of scripture and love for God to separate out these different forms of love. Do you understand that? You can have brotherly love for the people around you and not cross the lines and boundaries that are put in place for Eros. And you can have brotherly love and family love with people who are actively breaking the bounds of Eros. Regardless of what that looks like, a marriage falling apart, because a spouse is unfaithful, a family wrestling with the sexual lifestyle and choices of a family member. We are called to love. And we are called to teach the truth of the gospel. no better way to experience freedom in your life and to figure out how to do both of those than to be in the presence of God, to be in His Word, to be in community. So as we close, I want to give you the opportunity if you're in this place and you want prayer, let me tell you, our prayer ministry team will be up here at the front there are people who will come up for prayer and that just because they come up for prayer doesn't mean they're coming up because they've got some broken sexual thing inside of them. The scripture says that if you're sick in body, if you have family that needs prayer, if you know people who need Jesus, come to the elders of the church and allow them to pray with you. So we close with an opportunity for prayer every week, but maybe you are in here and you just want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you're ready to move past shame in your life and you're ready to move into a position of freedom and you want to be in a relationship with God before you're in a relationship with somebody else or maybe you are in a marriage relationship right now and you just you need to figure out how to how to make things right within yourself we want to pray with you we want to we want to do life with you we want you to take the opportunity to be the church that God's called us to be Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are faithful and you are good. You are consistent. Thank you for your gospel and your truth. now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed would you just would you just take a moment and in your own heart could you could you just tell him thank you could you just take a moment right now church could we just could we just say thank you thank you for your redemption thank you for your love thank you for your faithfulness what has he done in your life
Help us to be like you, filled with love, walking in love, carrying out love, embodying it. May we be the right representation in our marriages, in our families. Give us the courage and the audacity to to be able to stand in the truth of the gospel even when culture doesn't like it or doesn't align with it. But let us do so with compassion. We love you and praise you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.